0: Okay. Well, welcome, everybody, to the Conscious Leadership Group podcast and to learning about leadership as it's directly applied by leaders in the real world. I'm here with my co-founder, Diana Chapman. Hi, Diana. Hello, Jim. Hello, all. (laughs) And we're here with one of our great friends, Jim Placeo, who we have known now for several years and We're so excited to be in a conversation with you, Jim, about the application of consciousness and conscious leadership in your life. So welcome.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: (laughs) So we always start by asking uh, the people that we're in the conversation with to just give us a little bit about your professional biography so people know kind of who you are, what you show up in the world doing, so they get a sense of the arena in which you're playing with conscious leadership.
1: Sure. Well, professionally, I am a banker. Um, I work for... um, I've been here for about eight years. I run a team in Chicago that has about 10 people, um, and we invest um, the bank's money in debt securities from bank loans to high-yield bonds to distressed debt. Um, And I've been doing this in one way or another for, oh, God, 20 years now or so.
0: Uh, That's great. So that's the professional piece. And on the personal side, what's your life like and uh, what areas do you have passion about in life?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Lots. Um, On the personal side, I have um, I'm married to um, a wonderful woman, Donna, um, who I've been with now for 24 years. Um, I get a little emotional thinking about that. I've been married to her for sixteen years. We have two unbelievably beautiful, wonderful little girls ava who's twelve and Lydia, who is six um, Both were entered the world in very interesting and challenging ways, which was uh you know probably had some bit of leading me to all of this work um, and i am um I'm also uh a son, a brother a brother in law and a friend of many. Um, so, and, and I would say on the personal side, the other things that I'm, the the thing that I'm probably most passionate about now is, um, is my photography, which is a hobby that emerged about, oh, a little over a year ago, year and a half ago now, um, when I took a year, um, break from that profession as a banker to, to really explore what I wanted in life, um. It was something I never even knew existed, and I probably never would have found it had I not had the courage to step into the the fear of saying um, I'm going to step away from all the money and all the and all the and all the ego building things that go on in my life as a banker, and and step out and, and take some time off.
0: So we'll come back to that because that's a key part of your story.
1: But yeah. just how people get
0: oriented, kind of, what was your original interest in? CLG. You know, many people come to this work through pain uh, or difficulty. Some come to it through a vision. How about you? How did you kind of come to this work in the beginning?
1: Yeah, well, that, that's why I actually got a bit emotional around Donna. Um, I I found CLG, and I really found the two of you thanks to her. Um, my wife works for a company in Chicago that has used you, Jim, and I think you, Diana, as well, for a while, Athletico, and in 2007, um, after she had met you and a manager training there she um, chased you down a stairwell and asked you to meet with me at the time I was working for a very aggressive hedge fund and um, I was extremely stressed um, I wasn't sleeping I was you know probably skinny and just all stressed out and um, and part of my stress was driven by the fact that um, I had been offered a partnership in the hedge fund that I wasn't comfortable taking I didn't really feel like it was the right place for me, but I wasn't totally aware of that. And I'll never forget the very first meeting you and I had, Jim, in November of 2007 in a corner bakery at State and Rush in Chicago, uh-huh. and you and you described to me um, <clears throat> that the value system that, you know, the values that were important to me were no longer um, in line with the values that were, you know, important to the organization I worked for, and you described it as, um you know, a car driving down the road with misaligned wheels. And when you're driving 20 miles an hour, you don't feel it. And at 80 miles an hour, when you're about to sign a partnership agreement, you do. And I'll never forget, six weeks later, I got fired for refusing to sign the document, refusing to enter into that. And that was sort of the start of my journey into, um, you know, figuring out what I wanted. And luckily, three months later, I wound up in a new job at within three years, I think I was making probably five or six times the money I was making at the uh, the old hedge fund. So um, so that was my way into consciousness and my introduction to you. Um, my introduction to CLG, which is another key piece of this. Um, I was part of the very first CLG forum in Chicago three years ago. Um, and if you remember, Jim, I had fear and apprehension around joining the group. Um, and, and, and that really at the time was, was another inflection point, I think, in my life where I had been going so hard. And I think, um, you know, the thing that happens with success and, you know, as your ego gets built and you start getting attached to that success, and and I was all wound up in that um, in a big way. And I think I had fully adopted all the patterns of workaholism um, that are so dangerous and so prevalent in the world today, and really, I don't think I would have done what I did uh, 18 months ago, where I walked in and told I was leaving, had it not been for the support of that forum and what went on in that forum. So, really, really big. Stuff. Yeah.
0: So, so that leads to a wonderful question. You know, as you've been exploring the 15 commitments of conscious leadership over these years, how have you changed? What are some of the ways that you can experience direct, observable change as a result of living and playing with these commitments?
1: I think the biggest change in me, you know, I'm an Enneagram three. And I know, I think in previous podcasts, you've talked about this. um, But for me, it was getting into integrity. Um, You know, the vice of the Enneagram three is deceit. Um, I have a tendency to tell people what they want to hear and play the role of chameleon and kind of, and that can get you into a lot of trouble. Um, and so for me, I think stepping into integrity, which, um, I think is commitment number six, if I'm not mistaken, was probably the biggest thing that's changed for me and, and really getting in touch with, you know, what do I want? What is, um, you know, where am I, where am I not, where am I, you know, caught in that pattern of of not really standing for and saying what I really want. Um, and yet, it, because it's so easy for the three to focus solely on what everyone else wants of him or her.
2: Hmm. <clears throat> Jim, as you've been leading your team now and you've been practicing these 15 commitments, how do you see yourself leading
1: differently in these past few years? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I've asked that, you know, I've asked some of the guys that question who work with me now. And I think if you would have taken a picture of me four years ago, um, and, you know, you guys talk about above and below the line, I was so far below the line living on Hero, trying to do everything, Um, you know finding opportunities leading all the diligence on opportunities doing all the work all the negotiations everything was you know it was like Hercules putting it all on himself and that disempowered everyone who worked with me um and you know since i've been back and since i've taken the time off i show up completely differently in this office and with these guys um i view my role in the world now as a coach um getting out of the way, letting them grow, letting them take credit, letting them find the deals and, 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 and just doing a whole lot less. Um, my days now look much different than they used to. Um, I meditate every morning. I do yoga every day. Um, I probably physically am in the office maybe eight to nine hours versus 14, 13, you know, way back when. So it's just a totally different, it's a totally different um, way in which I show up here, and frankly, I think a more effective way for the group. You know, you know yeah, I, I probably had a bigger ego, and when I was living on hero, I, I, I had a lot of self-importance. But I don't think that was necessarily good for the team.
2: And do you see that there's been a difference in the in the success of the business because of this
1: change, or is it similar? Um, you know, I'd say the business is uh, the business is doing. Fine. I think it's, um, it was doing, it, you know, it, when I was living in Hero, it was doing well and it's doing well now. It's just not all about me. So uh-huh. it's, I think it's a shift in, it's just a shift in perspective more than anything.
2: So you discovered that you could work less and it didn't mean that there was any kind of a cost to your business. Correct. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. That's actually been a huge part of your discovery, hasn't it, as you have, you know, really applied this. You know, we referred to the fact that you took a time out. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, when we work with leaders, especially leaders like yourself, high-achieving, driven, wildly successful people, when they start to tune in to the cost they're paying for living life that way, it's not uncommon at all for them to start considering taking a time out, taking a break, and really decompressing from that entire way of being in the world and deciding then what they want from that decompressed place, which you've done, which I know at least one of the guys who works with you has done, maybe another. So could you just talk briefly about that? Because I think so many of the people who listen to this are in the stressed place of going, 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 and you just took a break. So what was that?
1: Yeah, it was interesting because, um, I think I reached the conclusion, um, to take a break in, um, it was the summer of 2014 and Diana, I'll never forget. Um, you had come and stayed with Donna and I, and we woke up in the morning when you were leaving and I remember sitting in the in the in the living room in my home talking to you and i was in I was in tears and i was I was having the experience of meditating, um, which is something i've been doing now I guess for three years daily um, sometimes twice a day and in that meditation experience where you really drop into your body, you get centered in your breath, I kept having um, this pain in my chest. And what's interesting about that is the only time in my life I'd ever taken a break happened in October of 2008 when I had open heart surgery for uh, an aortic aneurysm that, you know, it wasn't, it was a congenital defect that had to be fixed. But I remember longingly looking back at the three month break I had at that point in time and wondering how I was ever going to get that back. And I feel like my body was simply saying to me, hey, dude. You're doing it again. You're going too hard. And if you don't stop the car, you're going to crash. Um, And so, you know, it was scary because, you know, this is a job that most people, most people from the outside in would look at my life and say, you know, he's got it all. He leads this team. He makes a ton of money. It's, you know, he's got all this flexibility, but it just, I knew that I had to stop. I knew I had to stop. And I'll still I still remember Diana calling you. And uh um (laughs) <laughs> I, I can't remember how you answered the phone. It was something like, I don't know what the F to do hotline. Can I help you? Um, <laughs> and we talked through, we talked through, okay, you know, financially, you know, where are you? And I, I told you, and you started laughing and you said, you're and you're and you're worried about, you know, doing this, you know, you've, you've got a, you've got an ability um, and, and to make money and you'll figure out how to make money again. You'll be fine. And, and I walked in and I, and, and I, and I, I actually physically quit and resigned and, and the wonderful thing and you know was fantastic because they said look we don't want you to quit and what i really wanted was this time off and they gave me that one year sabbatical and let me come back to the exact same role with the exact same team which is something i never thought i would get going into that i just assumed that um i assumed that i would be you know out trying to find something new um but instead i actually got something even better
0: mm.
2: Tell us about that year. What what did you learn? How did that affect you, your family, how you do work now? I'm
1: curious to hear. Um, yeah, the year um I mean, first off I want to say it was it probably took, you know, it was funny, they offered me a 3-month sabbatical right away and I remember thinking, wow, this is the, you know, this is great. I'll, I'll still be here for a bonus cycle and blah, blah, blah. I had all these stories in my head. Um, and it probably took me three months to learn how to sleep seven to eight hours a night uninterrupted without Mm -hmm. checking my device. Um, it was, it, it was, there was a certain amount of decompression time, you know, and in that for, for a while, it was really, um, all about trying to get you know, sleep, trying to eat healthy, trying to exercise, um, and and spending time with the kids and taking you know, I'm I've got I had these two girls. My youngest was in preschool. Um, my eldest at the time was I think in fifth or fifth grade, and just being able to take them to school every day and spend time with them is just such a fantastic thing. So, um, but yeah, the year off, and 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 the other thing is. I think I just followed my gut, um, without, um, the thought that I had to necessarily do anything. Um, and that was what led me to photography. I'll never forget. I went running about a month after i had stopped working and it was a beautiful fall day. And I, I I was on this trail and there was a creek running along the side and the leaves were yellow and red and orange and I went back home and I grabbed my camera. I had an old 2000 version of a DSLR camera and I went out and I started taking photos. And I started editing the photos and my wife's brother um, Johnny is a photographer and her other brother Jeremy is an artist and the two of them just kind of, I started talking to them all the time and, and then all of a sudden it became this adventure. The next 11 months, I, I was driving down Highway 1 with my camera by myself. I was in the Grand Canyon. I was in Joshua Tree National Park, um, just taking picture after picture after picture after picture. Um, I think I took 30,000 pictures during the year off. Um, and just it just became this thing that, um, I don't know, a, 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 a bit of a the thing that comes up for me when I'm talking about it is the passion and the obsession, I guess, for me is the connection with nature. You know, I'm really into landscape photography and taking photos of things that have been, you know, untouched by man, if you will. And it, um, there's just a, there's a feeling I get in that environment that all the things I think are so important you know, are really, everything sort of takes care of itself by itself. And that's what landscape photography, for me, it's just that constant reminder that, dude, what you think is so important really isn't.
0: Mm. So, Jim, as I've watched your life, you know, a couple of the 15 commitments really resonate. Most of them do. But, you know, one of the commitments is around choosing to live in your zone of genius versus Mm -hmm. your zones of excellence, competence, and incompetence. And then the other commitment is learning to live life as play and let it be easeful and effortless.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I know that you're still growing and experimenting with those. Is being a being a banker, is that your zone of genius? Is photography your zone of genius? Where, what is your creative expression in the world? And how can I let go of this adrenaline-driven addiction to making it all hard and live more and more easefully, effortlessly, and playfully in the world? I see you in those, uh, you know, conversations inside your head and with your uh, friends in this work all the time. So what what do you have to say to people about that?
1: About living a life of play.
0: Yeah, and um, living, choosing to live in your zone
1: of genius. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I don't um, – the, the subtlety between zone of excellence and zone of genius is um, – I don't know if I've figured it out. <laughs> I know that um, the job that I do at Macquarie comes to me extremely easily. Um, it's a, there's no doubt I have a high aptitude, but what what's different about photography for me is the way it fills me up inside. The, the feeling of it's it's like a, it's it's a blissful feeling, um, mm. and and so if I had to guess, you know, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'm. I wouldn't say I'm the best photographer in the world but I I get so it fills me up so much that it feels like that is more likely my zone of genius than doing this work um and but but the interesting thing and I, is that w- what's great about the role and why I don't think I've left is the work the old work the work of doing the deal isn't where I think my zone of genius lies anymore. Maybe it did at one point in time, but what now feels like the potential zone of genius for me in the workplace is actually introducing all this to the guys around me mm-hmm. and shifting, helping them learn to, you know, take hundred percent responsibility, you know, stop gossip, live in candor, live in integrity um, find the win for all. All those things that, you know, these fifteen commitments embody, I, that's where I get all the juice out of my job now. is when I can sit with my with the guys in my team and, and 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 we've seen and then look, I've lost two of my longest and best guys who basically followed me and said, you know what? I've had enough. I'm gonna go do something else and they've walked away. And most people would say, Holy shit what are you doing? You know, that's scary. (laughs) And it was crazy because, um, two weeks after I lost one of those guys, a guy who I had been avidly trying to hire forever said, Hey man, I'm in now, you know, and he's going to be, I'm pretty confident. He's going to be a major impact player on the team. So, um, everything always just seems to work out.
2: One final question, Jim. Sure. Since you have been so excited about bringing this to your team, do you have any feedback for others who are listening, who
1: would like to bring this to their team? Yeah, you know, the one the one thing I want to say is, while I lead this team in Chicago, I'm I'm, I'm it's a 15,000 person organization, and I'm, um, you know, I'm I'm not the CEO. I'm not the owner, right? And I think a lot of people you have on your calls probably are in a similar situation to me where they're not the owner of the business who can sort of adopt and implement all this stuff. And I spent a period of time trying to push my boss, my boss's boss into the 15 commitments. We need to hire CLG. We need to do this. We need to do this. And there was resistance to that because I was trying to get them to change. And I think the thing about the, fifth, the 15th commitment to me, being the resolution, is really the most important and the one that applies here because, for me, it's all about, well, all I really have to do is show up, shift, live above the line, and, and if I embody the commitments, the changes will start happening around me. Um, and so that's, you know, I've already seen it. We're, we're starting a mindfulness training program inside of the group. Um, in the next few weeks, um, we now do these radical candor sessions after every deal, where we sit in a room and we let the most junior people communicate to the most senior people what went wrong and what they didn't like, which never happened before. And so it's like it doesn't all have to happen at once, I guess. And most importantly, I think it's just about how you show up, how you choose to show up, and if you and, and if you can continually shift and continually, you know. Exp- bring yourself to the organization from a place above the line, I think the the impact will be powerful.
0: Mm,
2: thank you so much. That's wonderful feedback.
0: Mm, yeah. Thank you, Jim. I, I just you. love to go back to the fact that all of this is occurring in the rough and tumble world of banking, <laughs> 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 you know, yeah. this is not uh, you know, a not-for-profit. This is uh, this is the hard-edged, sharp-elbowed world of banking where you're practicing and where others with you are practicing. So that's fabulous. So thanks for your time and energy, and uh, really, really appreciate you and all that you're bringing into the world and holding space for it. Great being with you.
1: Uh, thank you both. Um, I see you two both know you're two of my favorite people in the world, and I'm so grateful <laughs> for everything you guys have done for me and leading me through all this fun stuff. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Thank you, Jim. Thanks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, kids. Good for now, Diana. Yes, we are good for now. We'll see everybody next month with our next podcast. Right. Bye, everybody. Bye all. Bye.